Welcome to Inkwell, a podcast from Houston, Texas, for anyone engaged in the world of reading and writing. Inkwell is brought to you by Tintero Projects, which showcases the work of national and international Latinx and Latin American writers through readings and workshops, and Inprint, a literary arts nonprofit which, since 1983, conducts readings, workshops, and other programs to promote creative writing and reading and supports writers. Inkwell hosts Jasmine and Lupe Mendez, writers, educators, activists, and founders of Tintero Projects, will interview emerging and established writers from across the United States with energy, wit, and fresh perspective on what it means to ink well in this day and age. And welcome to the third season of Inkwell. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Lupe Mendez. And I'm Jasmine Mendez, the other co-host. And... Welcome to our podcast. Uh, this is, like I said before, season three. Uh, we have lots of interviews in store for you. And I think if we kind of manage what we're going to manage, I think we might have an extra one for you. So instead of eight interviews, we might do nine. But don't hold me to that. So we're still planning that. So yeah. And Inkwell is a collaboration between Tintero Projects and Imprint Houston, who graciously gives us the lovely home to record in with our producer, sound guy, Josh. Thank you. And our guest today, you can say hello. Hi. We'll introduce her shortly. But she can't say nothing else until (laughs) we get past this first part. Um, So it's been a hot minute since we've been able to um, have... I guess a conversation. Yeah, just here? be back on the mic here. Let's see things that have changed and things that are Our the same. Our baby is now a toddler, and the thing that changes is Whoa. I get cut off. Sorry, that's not. No, that stays the same. Oh, that is. <laughs> I get cut off sooner. Yeah, we have a toddler now who's yes. testing all the patients, but we love her. She, I'm patient. I think yes. she's. Yeah. Other things that have changed. I finished grad school, so Yay! I have my MFA. Burp, burp, burp. Yay! Selfish plug. Um, or... Josh, can you do all the burp, burp, <laughs> that on the back? Uh, and then, well, I switched jobs. You did. I am no longer in the classroom exactly. Uh, I'm still in education, so I train teachers now, and mm-hmm. so um, it's good. You get to have so breakfast with me and Lucy. I get to in the have morning. breakfast it's now nice. in the mornings. I get to go in by eight o'clock. Um, the place where I work at is now like 20 minutes from the house versus an hour and a half from the house. So things are good. All good things. And now we have to make more room for Jasmine's fifth diploma. Uh, it's only number three. Fifth diploma. (laughs) Yeah, that. I have a fake diploma. You do have a fake, but it's nice because you have like important people that like fake signed it. That's true. they really. I mean, signed he's really it. signed it, but like it's a fake diploma, so it's like. A we'll fake. actually talk about that at some other point. <laughs> like but that's a long story. Thing. It's a great story. It's an awesome story. But Jasmine has two real masters, mm-hmm. and her which bachelor's. is not reflected in my paycheck because you know wage gap <laughs> things is real. <laughs> so um, you know. yeah. So okay. So season wise today, uh, we will be interviewing the amazing. Uh, Leslie Contreras Schwartz, who currently serves as the fourth poet laureate for the city of Houston. What? Um, the amazingness that that is is really dope. Um, and then we'll have a great conversation in terms of like um, all the things that she's working on for her project as poet laureate. Um, her personal, new books, yeah, writing projects uh, for sure. Personal life. And then, Not too personal. 
<laughs> no one we is get scared. real personal. Story. It, we only got an is, hour. <laughs> we, this is Inkwell, the life story podcast <laughs> series. <laughs> It's right? like the E True Hollywood the story, e. but like true, the, the Inkwell True Hollywood Houston True Houston story. The truce, these Houston streets. <laughs> Houston streets story. Um, so yeah, so we'll do that. Um, and welcome to you. That didn't sound right. Welcome back. And uh, to another fruitful, fun season. Demanding, disciplined, hardcore. Really though. I mean, we hope that you pursue your writing career with the discipline. That our writers do, but but not like us. <laughs> not how we pursue the conversations on this podcast. No, Are there such a thing as disciplined writers who don't fly by the seat of their pants? That's a great question. That's true. We should ask you that later. That's I'm a not, good. I'm gonna write that I'm question down. I'm not sure if that exists. Writing that question, clicking We're disciplined my pen. at procrastinating. We're disciplined <laughs> procrastinating. You just like the pressure, right? Yeah, right. to create. You need, that. you need that extra pressure. I feel like you're disciplined, though. You got like books coming out, and I know, but I I have a lot of pressure mm-hmm. from three kids. That's true. From not sleeping <laughs> ever so really like you well. Squeeze every so minute out. Yeah. When I got precious moments and an idea, I you know I have to pretend to go to the restroom or something. <laughs> I love that. I laugh, but it's so real. <laughs> or take the kid to the bathroom with you. There's people banging at the door. <laughs> Literally. Little yeah. voices under yeah. under the door, too. Mom, what are you doing? But yes. So we get to learn about all this. And more. <laughs> here on Inkwell. We'll be right back. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. Um, we have today here with us, uh, in case you're just tuning in or you fast forwarded through our banter, uh, Leslie wonder, Contreras Short. Do people like speed through our banter? They probably do. Pro- probably. They're like, I don't want to hear those two. And then they just go straight to the good stuff, which is the person That's we're right. interviewing. That's true. <laughs> and Let's not our that. nonsense. Don't, well, yeah. All right, so jumping right in, Leslie Contreras Shorts is a fourth Houston Poet Laureate serving from 2019 to 2021 and a native Houstonian. She is a multi-genre writer whose third collection of poems, Who Speaks For Us Here, is scheduled for spring 2020 publication with Skull and Wind Press. Her work has recently appeared or is forthcoming in Gulf Coast, Anomaly, The Missouri Review, The Collagist, Pank, Iowa Review, Verse Daily, and the anthology. She connects 21 Mexican-American writers of the 21st century, edited by Irene Lara Silva, among others. She's also the author of Nightbloom and Cenote and Fuego, both with St. Julian Press. And she is a graduate of the Program for Writers at Warren Wilson College and earned a bachelor's at Rice University. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I always forget that she went to Rice. I don't know why I I do too, because she's like really cool. Not that other rice people. Wow, <laughs> shade. Well, I can double shade. <laughs> well, okay. I think it's well. You know, you don't necessarily always think of like maybe like humanities folks coming we out of rice. We are known for being, shall I say, quirky and socially awkward. So I can say that for sure. But I actually did find out about. So I was teaching a writing course here at Imprint. Um, one of the people that was taking the writing course told me about like the the 
turning of the statue in the quad. Oh, yes. Like that was like a... What is that? What is that? So in like a fit of... I guess it was like a prank, but also like That's very That is a very rice thing. thing. They, the statue of like the guy who founded rice, so mm-hmm. rice himself, like these college kids created... Like they figured out a way to flip the entire statue instead of facing... They came up with an engineering plan. Yeah. And like they tested it and flipped the statue like 180 degrees in the middle of the night in the middle of the night in between security shifts and then when they had to re when the the rice university had to hire a company to flip the statue back and they they broke it and like they had to get it fixed and so like that was their idea of a prank then then well the engineering kids still do stuff like that you know what our idea at u of h was of a prank We woke up one morning my freshman year and the giant fountain in the middle of between like the education building and the library, somebody had put like green dye and detergent inside the fountain oh, yes. and there were bubbles <laughs> everywhere. I mean, that we, was our idea. Uh, so <laughs> I still do stuff like that. There's, there's yeah. an annual event. This is just one of them called Nod, Night of Decadence. So there's naked people walking around, <laughs> I've heard partying, of I did not but know also- I forget which college it is. The, each dorm is called a college. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it's several. They put shaving cream on their bodies and run around and rub their butts on all the windows. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sure that that's... Uh, wow. Okay, so I have and the one, most... One year, um, one of them got their butt stuck in the window. Uh. <laughs> and... It was brilliant because a lot of people didn't like that, you know, to see that. Right, um, right. So... I'm sure that person was injured, but (laughs) (laughs) in some very uncomfortable spots. But so, like lamely, uh, St. Thomas, the only prank we had, which really wasn't a prank. I did go to St. Thomas for a year. Oh, you did? I think I I did. Telling me that, yeah. Like before, so like there before you went to Rice. Yes. So I got rejected from or waitlisted the first time. Oh. So I went to St. Thomas and saw no one because I only. Worked right. Mm. right. Well, I worked a job and then I yes, because that's how did Saint school. Mm-hmm. Part time school, part time work. Um, we for a while there was the the original the founders of the school were priests had yes. a dog, and the dog uh, named Griggs mm-hmm. died Aww. within the first like three years that the original priests were on the campus. And then all of those priests were moved to different spots across the U.S. and Canada. And so they had left a note for the next set of priests that came in to oversee the school. And they said, we've raised money and the the headstone for the dog, which was a little, like it was a little headstone Mm -hmm. with his name on it, uh, will be coming in. But like nobody... The prank is that nobody knows where the dog's buried, so the, move the, the senior class moves the headstone around campus. But my class, what, what? The class of two thousand, uh, <laughs> we screwed it up because they took the headstone and they put it in the pool. Oh my god! Oh no! And Poor doggy. Then it got Spirit. put up, and we don't know where the fact. That's so. Pr- yeah. Was it a real headstone? It was. Yeah, it's like a marble. It's real. Oh heavy, my gosh! Right? And so, like, we yeah, that was. On that note, do you have a poem to share for us <laughs> after we totally sidetracked? I do. I have hummingbird. Hummingbird. Small torpor, the mind fluttering, 
from thought to sick, sweet, sick thought. Stop here. Find this verdant room, the shoot inside. Arch the neck, feed and drink. Nectar that blurs self in pomegranate bliss of hover. Enter root self, amber core, darkening, ridiculous little life. Funnel sharpened to relish and feed on honeyed glow, just a drop in one flush. Hmm. You humming because it's a hummingbird? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very nice. So I, yeah, I love that. And I, and I wanted to immediately ask, just like thinking of that piece, like I feel like I've read in recent years, like a lot of sort of hummingbird pieces or yes. like that it keeps coming up right as this image and only recently for, for whatever reason, or maybe just like I'm now realizing it or fixated on it. But, but what draws you specifically to that image I've, or to that? I've actually noticed that too. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool that so many poets were thinking at the, around the same time, mm-hmm. the idea of hummingbirds. But I think there's some collective consciousness a lot of times, especially in the poetry world. But for me, I just feel a lot of joy when I see a hummingbird because it doesn't happen that often. Mm -hmm. And so I really set out to try to capture that joy in that inner space within me Mm -hmm. um, that feels rare, where I feel completely at peace and find joy Mm. um, and wanted to talk about also the difficulty in that, but also to savor it, to, to sit with it and just enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. That's as you find it. Cause I know a lot of your writing does center around a lot of sort of these difficult topics or taboo topics or things that are stigmatized. Um, and your writing, I think, seeks to, to destigmatize that and to talk openly about a lot of those personal as well as societal issues. Um, but do you find it often difficult or challenging to write from a place of joy or to explore yes, that? Yes, and I think this this upcoming book is basically a document of me trying to find and negotiate that struggle. Mm. Because I do uh, try to tackle really difficult topics. Sex trafficking, sex workers, there's all these different voices. But also they're all parts of me and different ways to, different angles to approach difficulty. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I tried really hard to authentically grasp at how do we find joy no matter what circumstance we're in. Mm-hmm. I think it's possible for everyone, even if it's you know someone who is in solitary confinement, even mm-hmm. in the most impossible um, conditions. I think there's always something in living that is redeemable mm-hmm. just by being alive. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. That's redeemable for sure. For sure. And, and sort of like within those topics, um, I guess that that you do explore and, and just with your, with your own struggles, right? Like aside from perhaps, you know, this idea of, of trying to, to find joy or, or being redeemed, like what else brings you to the page despite maybe some of the, your own difficulties or obstacles that you, that you face daily, right? Um, whether personal or familial or work life and all of that. So, 
I, I've been pretty open about talking about men, my own struggle with mental illness, and which was really difficult for me to do at first. Sure. But I've realized that it does help other people, mm-hmm. especially when I talk about it honestly, mm-hmm. because it's still stigmatized. And I think in some communities, even more so. Right. Um, like I know, at least in my family, you don't talk about your business. Right. It stays in the house. <laughs> yeah, Whatever a, happens in this house stays in the house. Latino thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and most, most people of color actually, you know, really. Yeah. And I think um, there are different gender aspects of mental sure, illness sure. so that, you know, and this is just generalizing men or masculine gender people Men or people who see themselves as male, they are more likely to express their mental illness through anger or aggression. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Um, not that women can't, but it, we usually internalize it. Right. And so I try to talk openly about that and mm-hmm. just explain my own journey. Right. In the hopes of like reaching someone else, right? Yes, that and there are people that are starting to come to me mm-hmm. after readings. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't necessarily help those people, right. but it right. feels good to hear that something right. I've read or shared with them feel makes them feel heard. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely an interesting space to navigate. I think I know I felt that with some of my own work, and you and I both, you know, sort of write a lot about um, chronic illness and and some mental health and things like that. And you know, you share right. You're at this reading, and then folks come out afterwards and like tell you their whole life story. And yes, like it's that's of, true. It, it is overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure how to respond, but mm-hmm. just you know, I I do have to set up boundaries with right. myself, right. but um, right. I'll say thank you and then right. bow out, but. I, I think it's good for people to even tell a writer, no matter what they write about, that, mm. you know, you found something useful out of their work. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's definitely like affirming to to hear that from, from other folks. Sometimes we like write into this like void and we're like, does yes. this matter? Is it yes. urgent? <laughs> like, and know. if a writer is ever rude to you after you tell them something, then that's okay. Just. I mean, those people are jerks. <laughs> yeah, and there are plenty of those in the yes, world, for sure. For sure. Yes. So how have you, um, speaking of, of your latest book that's coming out in the spring, correct? Yes. yes. With Skull and Wind Press. I know that's a shift from like your, a different publisher from your first two yes. books. And so can you talk a little bit about that process sure. and sort of navigating through? So or the press is run uh, as a, a very much a project of, of passion mm-hmm. and dedication by a non-binary person mm-hmm. named Trevor Kettner. And I actually had the manuscript out at 30 places. Oh my gosh. <laughs> with all these contests because I was determined yeah. to, to try to find a bigger publisher. Sure. But as soon as I started communicating with Trevor, mm-hmm. this is a fledgling press mm-hmm. um, that right now is mainly fo- focused on Latinx and indigenous right, writers, yeah, which is yeah. one of the few, right. if any. Um, when we started communicating, I said that I just had a feeling. That's great. This person believes in my work. Mm-hmm. This person really wants to dedicate their time right. to helping me be successful. Mm-hmm. So I, it was a lot of money <laughs> because I closed out in, you know, 
withdrew my wow. applications from all from the, the other, other presses. Yeah. Because even if I had a chance of getting a better publisher, it's more important to me to have a great relationship hmm. with someone who believes in my work. Yeah. And I'm so glad I did it. Yeah. No, that's great. No, I know because you and I have talked in the past just about you know, with future projects, like trying to pursue like a, you know, bigger publisher or somebody with wider distribution or whatever, you know, you want to phrase it. Right. Um, and so I think it's important, especially because that was kind of going to be my follow-up question as regards to like, you know, there's, there's lots of, I think folks that are emerging writers or new writers that do listen to, to these, to the podcasts and that are trying to like get their work out there and maybe considering like who to send it to. And so like, what to look for in a publisher. And I think that, that you really answered that beautifully in the sense that like the relationship with the publisher yes. and the editor mattered more to you than like whatever name or, And I can, you know. I can share, I feel comfortable sharing that Grey Wolf did send me a personal letter wow. saying we really like this, yeah. but it's disjointed mm. and the ordering of the chapter or the, the sections, sections yeah. are not working for us. Mm. So I could have you know, resubmitted it and resubmitted it like some people do. <laughs> some people do, yeah. And probably gotten closer with some other what people consider, you know, big time prestigious publications. Mm-hmm. But that, yes, that would be really cool mm-hmm. to to have. But at this point in time, I really wanted someone to, to deal with it tenderly. Mm-hmm. And I am so happy that, Trevor came along. Yeah. Or we found each other. Yeah. No, that's great. Can you talk a little bit about what the the themes of the book are? Sure. So when I first gave the manuscript to Trevor, I was skirting around an, the issue of, you know, why I had all these different voices, persona poems, mm. and how they related to the more personal mm. uh, trauma-informed poems. And... They helped me see that I needed to just put it out there. Mm. So I started the the manuscript with an essay that talks about my own struggle with dissociative, I think, identity personality. I think that, diso- yeah, a dissociative identity disorder, mm. um, which was something that I had to figure out through a particular type of therapy. Mm. And that was the thing that made the whole manuscript hard to understand. Mm. And I wouldn't have gotten there without Trevor. Mm. So you've worked really like you, even though you had sort of this quote unquote finished manuscript, you've had this really close relationship with an editor that has And if I hadn't had the essay in there, it would have made the manuscript really difficult to understand. Mm. And it pulled everything together and it made me consider, oh, Like, I was doing this without realizing having these different voices and having these different, um, you know, situations and different people because um, I didn't ever know what the term meant and I I had never considered that I had it. Mm. But the old term of it is multiple personality disorder. Um, But, you know, you hear that, it's no longer used and you hear that and you think Sybil, you think... You know, somebody like very dramatically, right. and that is true. Like you will see some people dress differently and sure, talk take on differently. Full on different types of. Yeah. Um, but what I've figured out is that I do switch. I have like a, a really mean warrior self, mm-hmm. um, and then I have you know someone who is very studious, 
you know, like the professor who, you know, takes into account, records everything. But through my therapy, I've learned to integrate and mm. use all of these different compartmentalized selves. And mm. I think we all have that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for people who have experienced severe trauma as a child, we do that to survive. Right, right. It's a survival um, tactic, yeah. We'll use our warrior self. We'll use, you know, our practical self to just get through it. But when you become an adult, that no longer serves its purpose. You, mm. And I'm in a safe place. So I've learned to figure out like how to turn parts of it off and it's a progress. Right, right. And it's also really difficult to talk about. So yeah. I'm so appreciative for Trevor. Yeah. Because they just made me feel comfortable. Um, and I'm not sure I could have done it with another publisher. That's great. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And how does, so how is some of the things you've like mentioned already, just with like the, your personal writing and sort of like your personal um, uh, obstacles and challenges and things like that, how is that, um, or is it making its way into your Poet Laureate project? Because if you guys have heard Absolutely. our- Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If you've heard our podcast before, every time um, we've had our other Poet Laureates, um, here are the second and third Poet Laureate, Deborah Deep Mouton yeah, and, our last and two seasons, Robin yeah. um, Davidson. Davidson. And they both shared a, a little bit about their project. So can yes. you tell us a little bit how all of this is informing your Poet Laureate so I'm project? definitely inspired by the former Poet Laureates, for mm-hmm. sure, because each of them had a different uh, angle mm-hmm. of trying to do community outreach. Um, so mine, I from the start, I really wanted to focus on mental health, especially in youth. Mm. Um, so, you know, I have, initially I was like, I'm going to go into, you know, homeless shelters for teens. I'm going to go into the Montrose Center for young people, which I have done. Right. I did a lot of that in the summer, and it is so difficult. Yeah. And I think what I've started to shift towards in the public workshops, but also these community-oriented spaces that are not open to the public, like shelters. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to start working with the health department. They have, um, I don't know what they call them, but they have programs for students who they're trying to help graduate because of all of the problems that they have, mm-hmm. poverty, um, getting caught up in the justice system. So they've asked me to come and teach classes to those groups and um, teach them to be mentors to other kids like themselves. That's That's amazing. So really I've shifted my focus that I'm just going into spaces and being a really good listener Mm. because I can bring all the shit that I want to. (laughs) Like, uh, I try to bring poems that are relevant to each group. Right. So if right. I'm going to the Montrose Center, I only bring trans and queer writers. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm going into a mainly African-American community, I bring poems, and they're all contemporary. Mm-hmm. I try not to use people you know, from the past because that's what they're used to, old right. white dudes. Right, right. Um, and I want to break out of that and just shift them into the idea, oh, this person sounds like me. Yeah. This person has experience. Like, yeah. Um, so a lot of times people will say, I'm bringing poetry to the community or I'm bringing it into spaces. And maybe I have said that before, but I've realized and become educated. I'm not bringing shit to anybody. <laughs> I'm showing them what they already have inside mm-hmm. and giving them confidence to say, oh, wait, my story is important. Mm-hmm. I can make it into poems. And I that is huge. Yeah. I think 
And a lot of that just involves listening, not going in there with some agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Which is hard for a lot of people to do sometimes, I think, or like whether it's the like savior agenda Mm -hmm. or the like, listen to me, I'm so smart agenda. Like there's so many things that. And I think it, it, you have to, it gave me more humility Mm. about what I don't know. And it told me to shut up and just listen (laughs) Listen. to people Um, because I don't, I don't know a lot. And I think when someone comes in to a space and say, I know these things, but I want to hear what you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's very humbling. Yeah. And it shifts the power dynamic because already, you know, it's not just like this person from the outside coming in to talk at me about whatever and thinking they have some sort of like authority. So the experience this summer that really taught me to just shut up and listen was I went to a local teen shelter and I did not, I guess I could have assumed this, but I did not realize that some of the people coming in had literally come off the streets, mm. literally, like that, the moment before I met them. Right, right. And so some of them had been living in, you know, a long-term uh, residence that they have that transition, transitions them into, you know, being independent. And that's when I realized you don't know shit. I was what I was telling myself. So I I ended up abandoning what I had hoped. You know, I had this little agenda. I had my packet. Yeah. And, you know, some of the kids were high or disoriented. I don't know if there were mental I'm sure mental illnesses, um, babies with them. Um, so I just listened. And I let them talk. Mm. And I'm I'm not quite sure that some if some of them could read or write. So mm. I've just, one of the things I've done is also try to incorporate more verbal, like orals. Telling, yes. Yeah. And I'm working with antenna to oh, yeah, yeah, bring. Yeah. I'm using some of my stipend money to bring in uh, real time translation equipment so that people who speak different languages can attend, but everyone's going to be using it so they can understand, even if it's just one person. Right. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's, 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 that's great. awesome. It's really exciting for, for like the work that you're doing in the community and that knowing that like it comes from like, not that it comes from poetry, but that poetry is able to like live and exist and right. do these things in the community. And right. If it, no, no, what were you going to say? Um, I was going to say, I'm I'm very inspired by Joy Harjo, mm-hmm. and she talks a lot about the you know living the living part of poetry. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us think that poetry is some separate thing, like some elite, Inaccessible, precious thing. Like, yeah, but yeah. it's living that creates poetry. So that that's the core of it. So I constantly try to re- remind myself of that. Um. It's totally admirable, like the the ability to come into the space as poet laureate with one framework of what you thought you wanted to do, seeing what was there, and then throwing it all out 
to, to figure something else out. Like that's, that's. Well, it's also the mark of like a good educator. Like not all like writers have that capacity that like you said, they have their agenda, they have their idea. Like I'm going to teach the haiku today, or we're going to talk about <laughs> like, you know, whatever yes. random thing it is, you know, like anaphora. And it's like, no, this kid literally just walked out the street. He's exactly. not two shits about your anaphora. Exactly. <laughs> like, he's not worried about that. He's worried so. about food. Right. He's worried about right. sitting in a safe space. Right. right. So, a part of me wonders, knowing that like level of commitment and then being in with um, community and space and um, that, that ability, is there like how much and knowing personally being connected in some form or fashion with like your family and then the connections with like activism in the city, how much of that like sits, like it's extended. Like how much of that legacy do you feel like fits so, in with, with your work? So my, my dad definitely raised us to be proud of being Chicano, Chicanx, although he wouldn't call it that, but <laughs> proud of being who we are in our ancestry, proud mm-hmm. of our grandparents. And, you know, I, I'm still figuring things out about my dad mm-hmm. that I didn't know before because when I asked him, he was like, what? That, that's just what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, he used to work as a laborer. He used to work, you know, sorting car parts. And I just know my, uh, growing up, my dad as this, back then it was called like a, a bank corporate executive. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't finish college. He's very smart. Um, I don't even know how he did it. And when I ask him, how did you do this? You know, he, at one point our car broke down. He had two young kids. Um, my mom uh, was staying at home and, you know, things kept happening. You know, this would break and that would break. And somehow without the college degree and he worked his way up from a mailroom clerk to a corporate executive. Uh-huh. And so things like that, like my family story, and that's just my dad. Right. And my brother, who is a journalist for the Associated Press, he had that journey too. You know, he worked in a warehouse when he was going to college. Um, He worked his butt off. He was so tired all the time. And I've seen him, and he, even during all of that, he guided me. You know, he was still my brother. We fought a lot. <laughs> yeah. So that, to me, informed me and educated me because, um, and probably, you know, for a long time, I didn't see it because, you know, I had more privilege than other people in my community. But I realized later as an adult how much my family had done for me mm. and for each other. And it wasn't perfect, you know, we had our issues, and there were times where we didn't have much money, you know, because of circumstances and jobs. But my dad and my mom worked so hard for us. So to me, you know, activism is formed by that, informed by that, like the idea of family. And, um, you know, for a long time, I didn't go out into community events because I was at home with the kids and— mm floored by that so no one saw me for right, years. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. But I always had a desire to come back. 
and try to find my way in that. Mm-hmm. I think I think a you're doing an amazing job. Thank you. Um, yeah, not hard with like the three babies you have <laughs> for I, sure for anyone. What's <laughs> funny? Well, for me, like I so I knew. Uh, I worked with Russell for a few years. Russell is her brother. I don't think uh, she's saying his name. Oh, yes, Russell. <laughs> I also, I should say, I mean, when I go out to other cities or anywhere, you're Russell's sister. So <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't, already used to I mean, I could be president of the United States and, and I would Russell's, be called yeah. Russell's Next little sister. Next time I see Russell, I'm going to be like, you're Leslie's brother. Exactly. <laughs> well, the, so like, I, I'm, oh, nice. yeah, I, like I'm, I met Russell in the early days from Esta Palabra, right? Yeah. So I think I met him once. I, I like came on to- And he actually started that at Columbia too when he went right. there. It was called Our, Our, Our Word. Our Word. Mm, uh, nice. Which is a, a a nod to the Nasa Palabra group here, um, and I met Russell just as as I was coming in. He had gotten accepted and was leaving to go do journalism school. Yes. And so we were like, "Way to go!" And then it was a little bit after that I met your parents, uh, and then like your dad, like the amount of work and like just the information in that man's head about yes. this like the history he, of like your family's history here and then like like Latino history in the city was mind boggling and I was like did you study He this is stuff? an amateur historian Yo, and I'm not even no, joking jo- it's not a joke like it's straight up <laughs> He works with Micaela Selly yeah, 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 and yeah. sends her stuff I mean in his retirement this is his mission right mm. He pulls out stuff he talks to people and he sends her Things, not all that she can use, but you know, he sent me zip files. I asked him like one question oh, once, yes. and he sent me like five emails, and I was like, "This <laughs> yes. is amazing!" So that's that's awesome to see that legacy like shape itself in very different facets. Yes, with both your parents, and then how you and and Russell like continue to do that work in your in your own fields, and I think that's that's brilliant. And I think my mom's experience too has shaped all of us. Yeah, Russell yeah, started yeah. out wanting to be a bilingual ed teacher, Mm. mainly because we all knew how much my mom struggled not knowing English till probably the fourth grade. Mm. Even though she was born here and she grew up here, her mom only spoke Spanish and was not very literate. I think she only went up to the third grade in Mexico. Uh, Well, no, maybe in Houston. I don't remember. But only had a third grade education. So... Um, because of that, my brother had always said, I'm, I have to do this, yeah. you know, for people like my mom. But I think he discovered he had a gift for writing in college. I'm sure he doesn't mind me talking about him. You know, <laughs> again, right now I'm being Russell's sister. <laughs> so yeah. but that's, that's beautiful to see how, how you're doing that work um, here in the city. Are, are there any, like as you're continuing on the the rest of your tenure as poet laureate, what are the next stops? In, in so, one of the results and one of the things I really wanted to have a they say product, but that sounds so ridiculous. But right. uh, something to celebrate mm-hmm. the voices that I hear is I'm going to create broadsides or posters oh, of people's work who are willing to share with right, me. Right, right. That's um, beautiful. They can send it to me. Um, I'd like it to be surrounded by the, you know, attending a workshop or the exercises. People can do it online. I'll post the exercises online. Um, and just that—that that is in a later phase yeah. of the project. Um, 
But I wanted to emphasize this idea. Also, I'm going to put it on social media uh, to give people the encouragement and to have them see themselves as poets. Right, right. Because it's always thought, you know, you have to be some esteemed person right, with right, degrees. Right. With degrees, yeah, writing things. But I want to show people like my mom. You're a poet. And my mom works with a lot of undocumented immigrants. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to show them, even if they can't write in English or Spanish or whatever language, they're still a poet. Right, right. Um, so I'm trying to expand that notion of what it is. Exactly. Are you going to have artists to go with their broadsides? I am trying to do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, the only thing is I don't have the money to compensate them, so I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would like some I mean, I local like artists. What, yeah, I feel like with what you're doing, there'd be artists that'd be willing to donate, like, or just time to sketch some things and or send you things, you know, yes. because you're working with these, like, very marginalized, very specific, yes. underserved communities. That I, I mean, I, I mean, I know at least three or four people that'd be like, awesome. yeah, I'll send do. them to me. Send I'm them down. to me. You know, yeah. just because they're like, it's, you're not just doing it like, oh, I want to make a buck. Like, yes. give me free art. Like, no, you're doing this. Like, if with, you're listening to this podcast <laughs> and you know some artists, artists. Uh, artists, we got some work for you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the for... Projects Classifieds. <laughs> Coming soon. Soliciting I'm work. also looking for an intern. So if there's some student that wants to be my sidekick, <laughs> um, <laughs> who is pretty decent, or can learn, because I know all these young people, they, they know all the internets and <laughs> graphic stuff. My mom says internet yes, stuff. so amazing. I, I love it. I know. Um, computers and things like that. Yeah. Um, I had, my Thea used to call my dad a computer because she didn't understand <laughs> what he did. So she, she would just say, you're the computer. That's awesome. Um, That's awesome. Well, I mean, I guess like, if you think that you compute things, then yes, you can be a computer. Yes. Yeah. Well, because you work for a bank, like right. cuentas so, right. and yeah. goldenos and so, yeah. Counting. So, yes, I'm looking for an intern. I can't pay them. I can pay them in love. <laughs> pay them in snacks. I can recommendation letters. Corn dogs. Yes, corn dogs too. Mm-hmm. I actually used to work at a corn dog place, but that's an aside. I'll save that for the <laughs> rapid <Next> question. <laughs> <laughs> that's dope. That's dope. No, what's it called? Okay, I want to take a little sidetrack and, and briefly if you don't mind talking, I'll talk a little about this. Cause again, so, and so you'd mentioned, um, kind of tying into this idea in a way of like, you know, your, um, like your grandmother, you said, or your mother, your mother, not necessarily receiving like, they only got like a fourth grade education, third grade education. Yes. Right. And so, but now like you and your brother are writers and yes. you're professional writers. Um, and so oftentimes like as writers, um, in order to, to become these writers or to continue our craft and writing, we enter certain spaces. Yes. Um, <laughs> I know where you're going. This is where I'm segueing, trying to eloquently, uh, segue into this, um, because I was, I think it's a necessary conversation. I don't know that like we've necessarily had oh, it yes. as often like on the podcast. Um, I know we often have it between ourselves, but, um, as writers of color in particular, we often enter these spaces that are trying to be, um, open and inclusive, um, and equitable. And, and all of those uh, fun words, um, and then they take a but, left turn. <laughs> but then they don't—they don't necessarily know how to create right. that. Right, and space. I think I think um, one of the issues yeah. is that you know literary spaces, any even even places like Macondo, mm-hmm. um, who I'm working with, mm-hmm. you know, are, are at least sending them information about you know, how to be more inclusive to trans writers. Right, right. Um, I'm going to talk to them because I saw you mention it, mm-hmm. bringing in more Afro-Latino 
writers, right. Latinx writers. Um, so even these groups that have a focus on marginalized right. communities, everyone needs to do work. Right. And we have to be willing to do it. So I can't, I have talked openly about my experience at the Frost Place. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I came to openly talk about it was because I've heard from other people that they've had difficulties. So I really, and I ended up, I did not know that after I had shared it with the board, this was last year, what happened to me, which I'll go into, that they made significant changes. It just Mm -hmm. hadn't been shared with me. Mm -hmm. And they are completely aware and advocating for change, right. which I appreciate, and I'm I'm hoping to go back and or at AWP to go with them to talk about how can we create change, yeah. how can we actually create inclusive inclusivity. So I'll tell you one happened. I don't mind. And Frost Place, just for you all that are listening and maybe don't know, is a summer writing. It's workshop a, a summer writing retreat workshop uh, space where writers uh, who apply and are able to get in uh, have the opportunity to workshop with workshop leads uh, Mm -hmm. from around the country. Mm -hmm. Um, You spend a whole week. um, I think if it's still run the way it was as I attended. um, There's a couple of different programs. Like there's a residency, a conference, and a a program for K through 12 teachers. Uh, And then so the writing retreat, uh, is hosted. They do the readings at uh, the Frost Place at the barn. So Robert Frost, uh, Robert Frost's uh, house, or one of the, the house he lived in at uh, for a little while. That uh, he stole. That he he bullied. Yeah. Have you ever watched the video? Have you ever watched the video? I watched it and they just kind of slide. They did. They made it like. Like he just goes he, up. He to goes. A he goes to the guy who laborer. owns the house. And yeah, then he was like, a labor. The guy didn't have a choice. And like throws him money, and he's no. like, "I'm taking your house for a little while." Takes the guy's house, and then when he's done with the house after like two years or something, and then gives the guy back if the house. If you look at the the text of of the incident, he actually didn't give him a choice. No, he just was oh, like, he's I'm like doing oh, this. "I'm taking your house, and here's a little bit of money." So You're gone. go. And then he was like, "Okay, I'm done," I didn't and then know he that leaves. History. It's like some, you know, like anyway. your cousin comes over. <laughs> okay, so that's where I was. So a little bit about your experience in this space. So, um, I mean, I met terrific writers um, overall, but and when I was there, we carpooled, which they've changed, by the way. Um, but we had to carpool with an assigned person hmm. um, back and forth from where we were staying at, which is the White Mountain School, to the reading space, which was the Frost Barn, is what they call it. And um, we would drive through the woods and... and it's beautifully and, seen. Yes. <laughs> it's so beautifully seen. But you can't get out and figure your way out there no. very easily. It's mm. dark. I mean, you're in the woods. And there's ticks. Yes. <laughs> oh, freak me out. And your cell phone flashlight does not work great. No. So... Um, I was writing with another Latinx writer in the back, and I was being driven by one of the fellows, which they've done away with. Oh. Um, all because of what I shared. Got it. And there was another writer there in the front. And while we were writing one night, 
um, um, my ears kind of perked up. Most of the conversation I was tuning out. And the person I was with, who was also Latinx in the back seat with me, had tuned out completely. But I started my ear, you know, the selective hearing. I heard Mm. the word minority Mm. come up in the conversation. And I picked up this part of the conversation where the driver started talking about all these minority poets, token minority poets, who get awarded or who... I don't remember the exact phrase, but basically token minorities chosen and how it's a detriment to the literary world because they have no talent. So I'm sitting there and I stuffed it down. I'm like, I'm in the woods. (laughs) I'm literally in the woods and I'm looking at the other writer who's just, you know, looking in the distance. Um, But I think it was jolting for me and I didn't know how to deal with it and I was there to work on my writing right not how to deal so with this yeah it just festered in me until a couple months later and then I talked to the director and then I talked that wrote a letter mm-hmm. I talked to some of them the uh, faculty of color mm-hmm. and they were advocating for me and they said absolutely you need to bring this to the board you we need to talk about it openly. Um, and so, you know, there's always going to be issues because the space, the literary space is still very white. Yeah, yeah. Especially in some parts of the country. Right. You know? So we forget that, and especially in places like Texas. Texas, I know. <laughs> I um, forget that often. And, then and I've always work. had this idea yeah. because of how much belief my parents put in us but I could just force my, I'm going to force my way into mm-hmm. these white spaces. Like, I'm going to be so awesome and so educated. I'm just going to forget that I'm That brown. I'm just going <laughs> to push my way in. And then there's always, be great. there's always these people that remind me, uh-uh. Yeah. You don't belong here. Usually it's subtle. It's subtle enough that I'm going to start saying, did they really say that? Or did they really right. mean did it? Did I interpret it the right way? Right. Like, but then something like, like this comes along. And you like, it, Affirms all those little subtle things that have happened. Oh, mm-hmm. this is real. Wait, I'm I'm not making things up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I just like mental illness. We got to talk about it. Yeah. Um, it makes people uncomfortable. It puts me in a weird spot mm-hmm. because I want to teach. I want to be able to, you know, mix and you know, have relationships with other writers right. who are white. Right. Um, yeah, there's always that kind of, like, that strange, like, line, like, that sort of, like, line that you're, like, jostling. Like, do I say something because it's, like, eating me up inside and it's the right thing to do and I want them to make changes, but I also don't, like, or do I say something because I don't want to risk, like, network, like, relationships with other yes, people and, or and potential I don't want moments. Spaces like that to, right. to find out about my experience and then start inviting folks to teach just because they feel bad. Right, right. For the or wrong the, reasons. Or the opposite. Yeah, like yeah. you, the fear that to say anything jeopardizes yes. a space. Right. Like they don't want to. No, you oh, need oh, to. Oh, it's going to cause too many problems. Yes, we just yes. We're just not going to do it anymore. Exactly. Well, yeah. I think it's important because they can't control what p- participants do. Like they mm-hmm. can't anticipate it. But they can do things like Macondo has a compassionate code of conduct. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. setup makes it possible 
to keep adding to that and be explicit. For example, um, being inclusive of people who are trans. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just a matter of putting pronouns on a name tag. Yeah, yeah. It's introducing yourself for the first time to someone and saying, what are your pronouns? My, these are my preferred pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, and setting up a, an entire culture. And right. that needs to be for any marginalized community. Right. Um, and just because a group or organization represents marginalized communities and uplift, up, uplifts them, that doesn't mean they don't have to do the work either. Right, right. 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 Yeah, thank you. On that note, do you have another poem to share before we go to our, our last segment? Thank you. Incantation. Conjure all night, up all night self. Conjure haven't closed my eyes, haven't rested limbs, no torso self. Conjure delirious. Conjure sunset. Conjure thawing into indigo and black grave self. Conjure raw, unfiltered maple glow, never touched. Conjure self that feeds on the starved self, the fattened, overfull, sick of thought self, eats her one gulp in eating with hand self. The self never satisfied. Conjure afterglow. Self that eats all other selves, splitting, selves, splitting, and washes them down with three boxes of chocolate, covering the dried, aging, cruel, reddened mouth self, selfish and stingy-lipped, sugar self, sticky, too sweet self, conjured this night beast stalk of my deep forest, unafraid animal, unafraid self, unnecessary self, made from pure and still holding onto umbilical cord self. Worthy with blood of mother and clean, free of thought or judgment, just body, just full fruit self, hanging from vine self, never altered, whole soul self. Hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Leslie Contreras-Schwartz. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I love All that word, time. conjure. Yeah. Especially on a full moon. Tonight's a full yeah. moon. Oh, <laughs> yes, it is. Friday the 13th full moon. It's supposed to be. And I saw an day. owl today. I'm not even kidding. Look at all and it looked at me in the eyes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it did look at me. Were you like yeah. in front of it? You turned around and you saw it? No, I was driving and I said, that's really weird that they put a statue of an owl on the, like, oh the gas station, mm-hmm. uh, you know. That's really odd. Like, why would someone go up there and put a statue of an owl? And I said, look, kids, look at that statue. And then it turned around and looked at me. I was like, what? It just moved <laughs> <It's> in the <laughs> head. Dang. Wow. Put right. some owl sounds, Josh. Can you All right, y'all. Oh, my God. Look at the moon, though. <gasps> it's so bright. Sorry, it's a harvest moon. Like, it's huge. Y'all can't see you it. You can see it, it from the window? Y'all can't yeah, see, I can it. see it. Audience. Audience. <laughs> On that note, we'll be right back with our lightning round questions. And we're back. Uh, okay, so this is the lightning round. Uh, this is, at this moment, Joshua put some lightning sounds. And so here's the rules for the lightning round. For those of you that don't know what this is, um, this is what it's all about. Um, these are the most important questions, life-changing, life-affirming, <laughs> the deep, weird, <laughs> philosophical questions. Um, I feel like you're, you're being sarcastic. No, 
It's the okay. truth. Make or break your writing this career. This is make or break oh your writing career. You don't answer okay, these right. Okay, so this is serious. Over. It's done. Like there's a million dollars on this. Yeah, yes, in the form of chips or crackers. <laughs> a million chips? Yes. Okay. So, okay, here's where it goes. So, you have, we will ask you a series of questions. You have 30 seconds to answer each question. Okay. And it has to be the first thing in your mind. Like we say the question and then you're like... Okay, but yeah. writers I can do this. this I can do this because usually we get like one answer, and then writers like devolve. Okay, into you're like, not supposed to tell her all that. <laughs> you're not supposed to tell oh, her all that. Stop reading. A sentence. Yeah, like a whatever, sentence. Yeah, a thought, whatever, whatever a phrase. Suffice. Like okay. if I was like, uh, size okay. of your shoes at ten. Okay, y'all asked for it. <laughs> okay, okay go ahead. Right, dun, dun, dun. Are you starting? No, Let's you start. start. Okay, all right. Um, ooh, I'm gonna start here. Favorite taco place. My favorite taco place has to be taco stands okay. or yeah. mom and pop shops. Okay. Is there anyone in particular in the city? In town? One like taco truck. The place. place by my parents' house, the, how you say, Canaceria. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay, dope. Um, are you going next or am I going next? You, you go Okay. Okay. Uh, Northside or Myerland? That's right. Oh, my gosh. That's right. <laughs> I know that. I know. <laughs> For those of you who don't know... Those are Houston. Originally from Wherever my home is. Aww. Aww. So Myelin is like southwest side of town. And yes. then like Leslie's family lives on the north side. But she's like raising her kids. Northwest. Northwest. Really. Aldine. Aldine. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Shout out um, to Morning or nighttime writing? All the time writing. Oh. She's just like not answering these questions. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> whenever the, right. whenever it comes writing. Oh, that's good. I like that. Lupa's still writing questions. Um, <laughs> Everyone, I would just want you to know that I married such a hating Dominican. No. Or shall okay. I say, a regular Dominican. Um, moving on. Favorite meal or guilty pleasure food? Favorite meal. You ruined one of my questions. I already told you that was going to be one of the questions. Did you didn't tell me you were going to be one of those questions. We can't let, Leslie needs to think. That's a hard question. Okay, if fifteen seconds with the, um, holla, mm. nice, nice, nice. Um, okay, thing you drink or eat after writing what you feel is a successful poem, like so. I don't. Oh. When I get into a mode, I don't eat. Like I need no food. I need to restrict myself into, and then after I'm calmed down, then I'll I'll pig out. Like, what's the thing you pick out on, you think? No, like... Whatever's in the fridge. If we go out... I, I usually want to go out and eat, like, enchiladas or something. Oh, okay. yeah, that's good. That, that works. That works. Yeah, I do the same. When I'm, like, in a writing zone, like, I'll, I'm like, oh, I've then been I'll writing for four myself. hours. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, favorite music you jam out to? Ooh. I like to listen to music that in other languages that I do not understand. Oh. Mm-hmm. I like that too. Edith Piaf is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. She's a French singer. Oh, yes. I don't yes. know what she's saying, but it sounds really pretty. Right, right. <laughs> I really like it. Um, Nutella or peanut butter and jelly? Like on bread. I would prefer Nutella. I'm not saying I eat it, but yes, Nutella. Every day. Every day, all day. Smothered. That's dope. Uh, most proud moment as a mom. 
seeing my kids happy. Hmm. That's a good neutral answer. So none of them get jealous. I know if they're happy and yeah. they're doing normal yeah. kid stuff, then that's good. I must be doing my job. Uh, writing desk or writing chair? Writing on my knee or in the bathroom. <laughs> Solitude. <laughs> Guys, so y'all weren't privy to the conversation we had before the podcast. So basically, Leslie, as a as a as a working mom of three and a writer, she squeezes those moments in wherever she can write, and usually it's in the bathroom where she can close the door and be alone, right? <laughs> or in the car, in your car. Yeah, yes. yeah, I know that. That's dope. That life. Most proud moment as an artist slash writer. Seeing my parents mm. go to my readings. It's nice. They're always like, you have like the most supportive they, parents. They go to everything. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Even with I these really it. uncomfortable topics. Yeah. They yeah. are there. I love your mom. Yeah. Your mom's always like, did you get a last book? We have copies. You should get that. <laughs> yeah. I think I've, I I've, been to, I've been to readings with Leslie where it's like me, her, and someone else, or like Leslie and someone else. And there's like, you know, because it, it, it is what it is. There's like six people, and like three of those people are like her parents and like mm-hmm. a PR or something. And I'm just like, if no one shows up, like yeah, they're there. The fan club, I love but it. But also it's my great. aunts and uncles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I met my sister, too. and she doesn't even live here. She'll mm. take off work. I love it. Yeah. And we don't ever need like a photographer at any one of those readings because her dad will just be <laughs> yes. like, everyone get together and <laughs> yes. photo and snap. Take a picture. <laughs> nice. Do you have other questions? I think I have two more. Um, I had. No, those are my three. Did you have any? Oh, um, yeah, we can end with this one. If you could share the stage with any one writer, living or dead, who would it be? Share the stage? Yeah, like have a reading with that person. That is hard. For 15 seconds? 30 seconds. We'll give now you. 20 seconds. <laughs> um, I don't know. Some of the writers I like would just be so socially awkward and would just sit there and do something really strange. Kafka. I really strange. like Kafka, hmm. um, but I imagine it would be very strange. <laughs> That's an interesting response, though. Very nice. Well, you all have been listening to Inkwell, a podcast uh, between Tintero Projects and Imprint Houston with our guest, Leslie Contreras Shorts. Thank you for joining us. Thank this, you for having me. Yeah, this uh, evening. We have some things coming up. So, announcements dun, 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 in October. Uh, we will have the next edition of the writers, uh, Houston Writers for Families Together, um, presented by the Houston Writers Coalition. Um, we'll be at St. Paul's United Methodist Church mm-hmm. on Thursday, October 3rd at 7 p.m. Um, all the money we're going to raise will go to uh, Fiel, um, and Kind Houston, which are both uh, organizations that support migrant families and undocumented uh, citizens. So, and later in the month, um, the imprint uh, Margaret Rootbound Reading Series will continue October 29th with Tanahisi Coates um, at the Cullen Performance Hall at University of Houston. Please be sure to check out um, the imprinthouston.org website for more details on their entire uh, reading series for uh, 2020, uh, 2019, and 2020. And um, then you can check out the rest of our to dos on Tintero Project dot wordpress.com 
Um, we're eventually going to fix the WordPress part. So we're going to get a new website soon. But for now, that's where you can check us out. And Leslie, where can folks find out about you? So the best place to find out about public uh, workshops and upcoming events are it, it, it is usually posted on the Facebook page for the Houston Poet Laureate. So it's facebook.com slash Houston Poet Laureate. Excellent. Thank you. And awesome. she regularly posts there. So please uh, check that out if you want to know what she's up to and what she's got going and on. And also, if you have literary events, send yes. it to me and I'll post them. Great. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and then you can also check us out at, at Tintero Project on Twitter. Um, we have a Facebook page. And till next time. This, we're going to go enjoy the beautiful moon outside. We are. And pay our sitter. And pay our baby. <laughs> Josh, thank Venmo. you ever so much. Try Venmo. No, we have. We do Venmo we cash do Venmo, out. No. Venmo your babysitters, folks. It's real. Have a good night. I'm sure you can. Or day. Have a good day. Enjoy traffic. Thank you for listening to Inkwell, a collaboration between Tintero Projects and Imprint in Houston, Texas, a city with a wellspring of literary activity. Inkwell is hosted by Jasmine and Lupe Mendez of Tintero Projects, produced by Rich Levy and Krupa Parikh of Imprint, and recorded, engineered, and edited by Josh Walker with 150 Media House. Inkwell is made possible by a grant from the City of Houston through the Houston Arts Alliance and Imprint's other generous supporters. For more information, visit imprinthouston.org or tinteroprojects.wordpress.com. For feedback on this and future episodes, email inkwell at imprinthouston.org. We also invite listeners near and far to attend our readings and workshops. Until next time, keep reading and keep writing.